Tetra was the first site that we introduced the infinite adjust system on the front end. With previous sites, we had what we call a hopscotch or plug and play type of scope housing, where you had to bolt the scope housing to the frame to find the correct location. The Tetra changed that with the infinite adjust system. So now, when you sight in your 20 yard mark, you can really fine tune by sliding the whole scope housing up and down in this channel system. That's probably one of the biggest features to the Tetra. Another key feature of the Tetra is Ninja Star yardage wheel. Getting a better hold on the yardage wheel, especially when you're hunting and you have heavier gloves on. The Tetra does have 100 yard capabilities with the yardage tape and that's to the yard. A couple other key features of the Tetra is you get both third and second axis for even more precision. But one of the key features as far as looks goes is we've updated the front end or the housing of the Tetra. So now you have a brighter, larger uh, scope ring which helps with peep alignment as well as a built-in scope level which is just more secure. The Tetra is available in a fixed frame bracket with, with three different mounting locations as well as a dovetail or tournament edition uh, so you can adjust the distance that the scope housing is away from your bow and the Tetra is also available in three different scope housing sizes. You get an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarter, as well as a new four pin multiple pin head. All the heads are interchangeable. All the Tetras are compatible with any of our accessories. For more information, you can visit our website at www.hhasports.com. Hello, we're at the BATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we use with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens still has our momentum management compressible blade technology so the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed uh, in flight it's one inch by inch and a quarter another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like so swap the tip out get you 125 grains instead of 100 which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place, roll those blades up, and then it's a click, and another click on the other side. It's completely set in, will not prematurely deploy, will not rattle free, solid containment, 100% deployment every time. So we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time. So that's what's new for VIP this year. We would like to just take a second to help you make the final decision on your new Kydex holster. We the People offers all American-made holsters designed for everyday carry. Whether it's inside the waistband or outside, these holsters are made with quality and don't break your bank like other high-end holster companies. And plus, they offer free shipping on all orders in the USA. So go have a look, and while you're at it, check out what else they have to offer. Merch link in bio. Hello, folks. Thank you for tuning in to another Bucks of America podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vance here, and uh, thank you for tuning in. This episode is pretty cool because I have a 
almost an up-and-coming industry giant when it comes down to deer urine and deer tractants here. I have Zach Renew from Native Sense online here with us talking about his brand. But actually, this podcast goes even deeper because Zach and I have known each other for several years, and he's one of the go-getters for Bucks of America in itself, with, along with Cody Neer. So I do recommend, if you haven't listened to Cody's podcast, it's number one. Go check it out, listen to it, give you give yourself a foundation of what we all do here, and go from there. But I'm going to let uh, Zach kind of take us in the very beginning and go from there. What's going on, Jeff? Go good. What's it like in Wisconsin right now? Beautiful. 85 degrees out today, and uh, opening day was yesterday. And uh, we been a little too warm, so I didn't go set this this evening, but then I, I, I didn't want to have to go to work after I shot something. So, because where I hunt at, I got a lot of doe activity, so I want to fill those doe tags right away. Just kind of get that get that pressure off, you know, get that uh, stress. And when the, when, the, when the buck shows up, whenever it does, we'll go from there. But uh, it's been uh, gorgeous here. It's, it's, it's 40 degrees in the morning, and then it's, it's rising up. But here, from here on out, it's just going to get colder and colder and colder. And this this says on my phone right here. It says it's seventy seven right now. It's probably closer to eighty five today here <laughs> on the coast. It's rainy, man. We cannot get the rain to go away right now. It's just I know that it, we're fixing to have a drought because it's almost time to plant food plots. Okay, so <laughs> a couple more weeks and we'll be ready to plant food plots for fall hunting season, and we'll be begging for rain. Uh-huh. But right now we're begging for sunshine. Uh, I know the supposed feeling. Supposed to have our first cold. <laughs> yeah, we're supposed to have our first cold front come through sometime this week mm-hmm. and get down to the mid 50s for at least a day or at least one morning uh-huh. one morning yeah that's usually how our cold fronts go we'll get down like 30 in the morning and then it'll be back 92 in the evening right <laughs> this year we've we've had an abundance of rain up here like in my area alone there's one storm that produced eight inches of rain that came through and that was the beginning of august so we've probably seen like 15 16 inches of rain since that point in time now but last year though we were running into droughts it's like people had their complete uh, food plot dry up die off and so they had to pretty much try yep. to restart again and find a another product to replace what it grew because it's like this now it's now it's getting towards the end with less water so you got to figure out a solution for that that's it i think we've had like 67 inches of rain so far this year wow that's a pretty well then you just yeah. guys had that the ida come through so and then plus all the other storms coming yeah. and what i noticed earlier on back in may that the water temperatures were already in the mid 70s and Based off of what the uh, the uh, meteorologists are talking about, that when your waters are that warm that early on, that the the hurricanes and the storm fronts that are coming through are going to be even harder. Normally, that's the case. We haven't seen that issue this year. Uh, just hurricane season to only go off coast has been pretty quiet this yeah. year, um, which we're thankful. We actually have acorns on the trees right now. The last thing we need is a storm to come through and knock them all out mm-hmm. before the rage drops. Yeah. Just starve your deer down down here. Storms are bad on the Gulf Coast for knocking out all of your acorn crops, and then your deer have nothing to eat for most of the fall other than sticks and twigs yeah. and what few berries are there. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> I guess we can <laughs> dig on in. We, we – me and Jeff, we get to rambling a lot. We, uh, like you said earlier, we've we've known each other for quite a while. We can kind of get off on, on our own tangents. tangents, but that's what that's the fun part about podcasts. We can go on rants as much as we want to, as long as I bring it back to the center. 
That's it. That's it. It's got to stay centered. None of that Joe Rogan, Alex Jones stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I did that with the, the um, SmackDown podcast. We did a, a tri-cast where we had multiple podcasters as podcast guests. I'm, I brought my tin, fat, tin uh, hat on, and we just went down the rabbit hole. But it's like I was talking about things that we need to pay attention to because we got, we got Bill Gates buying up 240,000 acres of land. Um, most of that land sits in Nebraska where the largest aquifer is. You start digging the history. You start looking at what the money's doing and what they're preempting right. for. You kind of predict the, what's going to happen over the next 10, 15 years. The thing is we got to teach our kids this stuff because if long as long as we do, long as they become uh um knowledgeable about what's going to happen because like history is our greatest teachers like the elites are going to do what they want but we just got to figure out what they're going to do ahead schedule that's it that's it that's it maybe one of these days we will be sitting closer to that elite table to where we can make some of these changes that we would like to see that would be fantastic Maybe so. If I ever get there first, I'll bring you with Fantastic. me. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm I'm all for it. <laughs> so I guess, I guess going way back, whew, way back, I, I say it way back, like it was forever ago. Mm-hmm. feels like it. It does. It was when we kicked off with the uh, Bucks of America, me and Cody. Uh, he was currently bouncing the idea around in his brain about doing this. And he had Bucks of Nebraska going wide open. Mm-hmm. Like they were just, uh, I remember my first trip out to Nebraska was actually with a, a different friend that had invited me out to hunt that week. And uh, he ended up having to work. He couldn't get off. So I was kind of like, boom, do it yourself, kind of go on public ground. Yeah. And with my bow so i'd never been out there never hunted out there no i don't really know how the layout of the land is i don't even know where i'm at for the most part Mm -hmm. and then i run into another guy chad peterson up in grand island and uh i met him out on one of the uh 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 forest uh grounds Mm -hmm. and we got to hunting yeah and uh we 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 connected and uh we went hunting that afternoon, saw some great deer, and uh, made a lifelong friendship out there. And, and I ended up, I go out there every like every other year now, I go out there and hunt with him for a little while, and then I stop back through and hunt with Cody back down the southeast a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> it's just crazy. The people out there are just so nice. Uh, like I, I didn't. I was staying in hotels, and Chad was like, "No, nah, my grandfather's got a house down the street. You know, right outside the national forest. We'll just stay at his place. You know, and he's got a garage cabin and all this stuff. So we, that's where I've been staying all these years. He, we take our vacation time and we go out and we hit the hills and yeah. we spot start with our bows uh, every other year. And uh, Cody was just my print guy. He used to have a print shop. It was called Lincoln Screen Printing in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh-huh. And that's where uh, Bucks in Nebraska was started, was at his, print, at his uh, print shop. And I found him somehow. I really don't even know where I found him, mm-hmm. but I was looking for a print shop. And it just popped up. I'm sitting down here in Mobile, Alabama, and... Lincoln screen printing pops up just somewhere on social media. And I see it. I sent him a message. I'm like, this is what I need. And he's like, yeah, I do it. Okay. And then we start talking, you know, doing business with one another and talking back and forth. And I send him orders, this, that, and the other. 
And on my first trip up to Nebraska, I was like, you know what? I'm going to meet this guy. Okay. I'm going to get a big order put in mm-hmm. and I'm going to actually just go by the shop and pick the order up while I'm there. And, uh, I ended up hitting a deer the day before <laughs> yeah, I hit a deer with my truck going hunting that morning, almost totaled it. Oh shit. And, uh, yeah, it was bad. Um, like one headlight, I had to pry my bumper off of my front tires. Uh, all my grill was gone. My AC condenser was busted. I had to wire my hood shut and duct tape my uh-huh. headlight back on because the whole grill assembly was gone. It was just dangling. So I had to like duct tape my headlight back to my truck. Nice. Now with your newest truck, did you put a, a brush guard on it because of that experience? Yes. It's amazing how many guys like, oh, that guy's hit a deer. That guy's hit a deer. Oh, she's hit a deer. (laughs) Especially around here. It's like you get a truck, you need to have a brush guard. I had a big old 91. I just sold it here earlier this summer, but that thing was all made out of steel. So it's like the deer's going to bounce. That's what I wanted. Everybody was telling me you need to get a cow killer. And I'm like, I don't know what a cow killer is. They're like a solid welded bumper for the Ranger truck. Mm -hmm. I was like, all right. So I found me a solid welded bumper and I put it on my new truck. Luckily, I have not hit a deer with it yet. I did have a deer run into the passenger door. Uh, my wife. But yeah. I have not hit one front in yet. Yeah. So I pull up at the print shop and I'm like, just, I pull up in this just clunker, you know, that just <laughs> smothered a deer. I didn't even get the deer. He was like, he was a nine point. He was a young deer, nine point. And he was chasing a doe across the road in front of me right before daylight. And I smoked mm-hmm. him. And I didn't want to waste my buck tag on him because you only get one buck tag yeah. for your archery season. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not wasting my tag. So we had to wait for the local sheriff to get in town to get a salvage permit. And uh, so we waited on him by the time he came in and got into, uh, got into the station. It, the deer was gone. So I ended up pulling up down in Lincoln the next morning uh, with my old clunker truck. <laughs> and... Uh, Ended up spending the next uh, three days uh, staying at Cody's and mm-hmm. uh, hunting with him on his uh, on his wife's or on his in-laws' farm in uh, Humboldt. Uh, I think is what it was, Auburn, Nebraska, Humboldt, something like okay. that. And uh, we became friends, and we just every single year we ended up being business partners at Bucks of America. I kind of I kind of pushed him, and I was like, "Look, let's do this. If you want to, we'll just start slow. We'll." You know, you've already got Nebraska booming. Yes. I'm in Alabama. Let's start Alabama. And then we started Alabama on Thanksgiving Day of 2015, I think is when it was. Um, and then we started, I, you know, I was bouncing some ideas around. I was like, look, let's do this. We'll start looking for, let's start looking for other people in these other states so we don't have to focus on it. And I was like, we can call them heads of state. Yeah. And yeah. then we found you and we had uh, Michael McCord in Kentucky. Um, I think there was a, we had a guy, Aaron Brim in Alaska. Yes. Um, and we had trying to, uh, Forrest uh, Peretz in uh, Pennsylvania. No, he was in Georgia. Georgia? Okay. Yep. Um, I think it was Peretz. We had uh, uh, Toby Lumberg in Wyoming, too. That's who actually, that's who introduced me yeah. to Cody, was Toby. With the diamond peep. Yeah, with the diamond peep. Yep. I still rock the diamond peep in my bow right now, even same with Alicia too. <laughs> yeah, he I've got a few here that he sent me back when we had that uh shootout contest that time. Yeah. Um I'm trying to remember now. My brain is so fogged over with all of this new stuff. I've got so many people that help me with stuff now. It's hard to even think back to two thousand fifteen. We had a lot of great guys though helping us. I mean, mm-hmm. uh 
you, I mean, this is where you, I mean, ultimately this is where you came from. Yeah. Is, you know, us, us, us finding you, giving you a shot at this and then you taking the reins and going. And, uh, I'm, I'm proud of you for that. Thank you. Yeah, I tried doing recruiting one for Minnesota, but they were they were they weren't they weren't adults yet. Then it's like I tried recruiting a few other people that I could think of, like out in Ohio and a few others, but it just we did we just and they didn't fit out. They didn't work out. So, but that's just how it goes. Some people are just not are prepared for the amount of work that goes involved in running something day in and day out. Right. I think we had a really really great platform. I just think it was the wrong time. Because around the time we started releasing all of that apparel line, mm-hmm. that's all you ended up seeing on all ads on social media was apparel. Yeah. And I think people people were still buying, but I think a lot of people, even today, it's like, oh, it's just another hat company or it's just another t-shirt company. There's so much out there. It's like, I don't, it's like, I got so tired of trying to create and come up and 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 figure out new apparel and this and that and the other that uh, today i'm just like give me five hats i don't even care what they look like (laughs) (laughs) i still pick my stuff out you know and and do the patches and the monogramming but we don't focus on it it's not a huge focus of mine um I, I don't really have a lot of time to focus on apparel for one mm-hmm. with their, you know, our dear urines um, and our staff. We have a, we have several great guys on staff. Um, they do a lot of work for us. Uh, a lot of work for us. I've got a couple of them that uh, have gone from just wanting to staff to they're actually dealers now for us. They, uh, they went and got their business license and they are full fledged dealers and, they're they're knocking it out of the park with our deer years. That's fantastic. Now, where are all your de- your uh, dealers at right now? Are they all still centralized in Alabama? Or are they all over the country now? Or starting to grow throughout <clears throat> the country? So, we're starting to grow throughout the country. Uh, where you can find us at Mullins Supply Barn in I think I want to say it's Warsaw, Kentucky. Okay. Um. Then there is. Ooh, let's see. There's a bunch here in Alabama. We have uh, Quint Sporting Goods, uh, Gone Country Feed and Seed, uh, Outdoor Addiction in Baymanette, um, Kirkland's in Silas, Alabama, Ace Hardware in Chatham, Alabama, The Field in Jackson, Alabama, uh, Impact Archery in uh, Monroeville, Alabama. Um, we've got who? <laughs> <laughs> We've got about 41 stores as of right now. That's impressive. Um, That's a big congratulations and, to you. You guys did, you guys have really taken care t- taken off in the last 3 years. I mean 41 stores it, in 3 years is pretty impressive. We've done it. We've got uh, I've got a guy in Mississippi that is one of my dealers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what he'll do is he has a dozen stores or so that he sells in himself. Uh so I'm I'm not even sure what all stores those are. They're actually working on a list for me right now to get me all of the stores that they're going to have for us this year. Mm-hmm. So I've got a guy in Birmingham, Alabama, that uh, Todd Brogdon. He uh, oh, he's probably got 13 or 14 stores of his own that he sells. Uh, that he's my outside salesman too. Okay. Uh, he's getting you know I've got a list of stores that are just 
there's there's going to be more than 41 whenever this list rolls in. So we're we're liable to have 60 stores or so this year. Um, I know of roughly 41 that I have personally gained. Mm-hmm. I've got a list of them out in the barn. Uh, I talked to them. They're, I'm actually shipping right now. I'm shipping out butt urines and non-estrous dough urines right now. Okay. Um, so they're already stocking the shelves. Getting ready. We got we're less than a month away from Alabama opener. Okay. So it'll it'll be interesting this year. We're looking, we're hoping that we're gonna have another blowout year, have a third consecutive year, blowout, sellout. Uh-huh. Um we're looking to do anywhere from fifteen to eighteen thousand bottles this year. That's amazing. Because you, you use because you guys use glass bottles, don't you, or do you use uh, plastic? Mm-hmm. Okay, because I know there's a few companies out there that do plastic as well. Right, we had thought about going to plastic if we do get into the twenty thousand plus range. Okay, just because it's cheaper to ship, mm-hmm. you don't have that extra weight. Just I have to when I order, they can put five thousand bottles on a pallet, uh, on a single pallet. And that's 780 pounds. Oh, wow. That... For five for 5,000 one-ounce bottles. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a lot. If I was to order 5,000 plastic bottles, it would only be like 205 pounds. Wow, that's a big difference. Literally a, like a yeah. third of it of a difference. That's right. a big difference Between right there. Between the glass and the plastic. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. So it would help on shipping, which it would help me on shipping. It wouldn't help much with with shipping product from the farm mm-hmm. uh, just because shipping rates just continue to climb. Yeah. Uh, yeah they may notice that. We, 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 we fight that every year. Um, mm-hmm. They always seem to go up 70 or 80 cents a year on shipping and you, you can go flat rate if you want to, which we prefer to ship priority anything mm-hmm. just because it's kind of, it's kind of, it's not necessarily time sensitive, but it is kind of time sensitive. We ship it on ice packs. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ice packs are only going to last for so long in shipping. Um, so we try to get it to its destination within two to three days from the farm. So with the, the freshness and the quality is really what we try for. Mm-hmm. So what, and so, uh, three years ago, what, or four years ago, what was the brainchild of you start creating native sense? Like where did, where did the inspiration come from? Where did the name come from? So. The state of Alabama was talking about implementing a deer urine ban like most other states. Mm -hmm. And they were not going to allow the importation of deer urine into the state of Alabama. All right. And we fought it. Uh, My partner that owns the, that actually owns the deer farm that we collect us from about 20 minutes north of my house here. Okay. The state representative. So we had questions. Uh, and we felt that, you know, a lot of this was being overlooked on the reasons behind the deer urine ban. Um, sure. CWD is real. It's out there. It's a natural disease. Um, but they were just, they were wanting to implement a baiting law to where you could hunt over bait, but kick deer urine out. Okay. So it's like, what are you, if you're worried about CWD, then why would you implement a legalized baiting law? If you're going to be bringing all of those deer to one spot 
period. You're not going to be bringing does into estrus. You're only going to be bringing in a select few bucks. Yes. If you put corn on the ground, you're going to be bringing in bucks, does, hogs, everything. Raccoons, possums, fox, coyotes, mm-hmm. everything that's going to eat that mm-hmm. corn, they're all going to be there. They're going to be walking around, bringing in trash on their feet, pee, crap, whatever, slobber. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can't do one and the other. Um, so you can't kick one out, but make one, bring one in. If you're trying to get rid of or eliminate the, the possibility of, of chronic wasting disease. So we argued a lot of cases on it you know, uh, talked to a lot of our DNR personnel and they ended up, they fixed it. And they said that all the deer urine collected and farmed inside the state lines of Alabama would be 100% legal okay. to use under this current regulation. All right. So that's kind of where the name came from was native is native to Alabama. Okay. This is an Alabama farm, native deer, native Alabama. Boom, let's just call it native sense. And that kind of stuck with us. And uh, we were like, well, let's just do that. Let's don't overthink it. You know, it's either going to flop or it's going to go well. And I gave the idea, I pitched it to uh, a friend of mine, Darren Sims, out at Studio D Media um, out in Utah. Now I used to be in Florida. And uh, I told him, I was like, look, I just have an idea. It's going to be called Native Sense. I have an idea of a buck, uh, you know, lip curling, maybe in a dream catcher or something to make it kind of catchy. Okay. And I got a bottle right. This is what he ended up coming up with. Yeah, I like it. It's very, it fits perfectly. A little primitive, but it's, it delivers the message. Yeah, it's just, you. it looked great. I, he was like, do you like it? And I was like, huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is, is there anything I need to change? I said, absolutely not. That's perfect. No, nothing, nothing, nothing to change. And uh, we kept it and we went with it and we come out with our deception non estrus. And then we had just a easy, just right off the top of our head, we'll just call the estrus seduction. Mm-hmm. So we called the estrus seduction. And now we have a buck urine. We're calling it war party. War party? War party. Nice. Um, and then we have a new product this year we're calling Hostage. And Hostage is a gel-based poly- – it's, it's just a gel polymer, absorbent polymer bead. Um, so we're going to put buck urine, rut buck urine in one gel, right? So it's going to be more of like a deca bead. Okay. It'll have buck urine in it. And then there's some little gel crystals we're going to put doe estrus in. And then we're going to put them in the same container. Okay. So you have one container, you have one container, this one's empty, yeah, it's empty. So you have one container, you just you just get your scoop, now you've got buck and doe in that one scoop. If you're a bow hunter like I am, it's perfect. We played with it last year. Take it out, you can toss it about 20, 25 yards from your tree stand, boom, it lands on the ground, within 20 minutes you have Buck and doe sent right in front of you at 20, 25 yards. Perfect. And what we've noticed with it last year was the, a lot of times the deer down here, they're a lot different than the deer up there from what I have seen. Okay. In, uh, in Ohio and uh, Nebraska, 
the deer up there don't walk around looking in the trees for people in the trees. Down here, they'll bust you 35 foot up a pine tree in a tree climber. No shit. Or in the lock on. Oh, yeah. They'll walk right up there and look at you 100 yards away and be looking at you in the tree. In Ohio, we were hunting in 10 foot ladder stands and the deer would walk between the ladder and the tree. And we're just, just mind blown. We're yeah. like, there's no way that deer didn't just see me. Mm-hmm. There's no way. They were completely oblivious. So what we found last year was when we were used this, the bucks, when they would come in, even young bucks, so when they come in, they weren't looking for danger in the trees. When they smell it from downwind, they come up to it. Mm -hmm. They smell it. It gives the imitation. There's been a buck and a doe right here, a hot buck and a hot doe, boom, right here, like fairly recently. Okay. And they come in more alert and scanning the woods than they do up in the trees for danger. They're looking, they're scanning for deer, listening for deer running in the woods instead of someone up in a tree. Okay. So I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see what other people can find out with it and uh, playing around with it this year when we release it. We liked it. We enjoyed it last year a lot. Um, we killed a couple deer off of it last year, come right in there to it, looking for that doe and looking for that buck that had that doe locked down. Nice. And uh, Yeah, it was, it was pretty wild. Now, when you did this, did you do this pre-post or during the rut? Or did you... it was in it was in our it was during our rut, which okay. is around the end of January. Yeah, because I was just trying to think about that because like, cause like uh, we well as you we were just like I told you our our season just kicked off yesterday, so it'd be a little bit too early to apply this application right now because it's like right. it just sound like this doesn't make sense and just beeline it the other direction. Yeah, because uh, you and I had a conversation here a couple of years ago when we were talking about like all the amount of sensors that they have in their nose, and you blew me away. It's like three hundred and fifty thousand sensors in their nose. It's like it's just amazing how technical those deer really are and then when I, and I had to Brian Sparks on from Lucky Sevens like you guys are like spitting images of each other with the, the amount of knowledge you have with that anatomy of the nose on a, on a whitetail right tell you what let's see uh, I was gonna show you if you could see in this deer's nose here yeah I can see in the nose you got a pretty good lined up yeah oh yeah perfectly I can see the the so normally there's these little cone structures in the nostrils yep on both sides. Mm-hmm. When that buck lip curls, when he throws that lip up, he's actually channeling all of his scent into that particular set of um, olfactory. Uh oh. Mm-hmm. Uh oh. <laughs> um, so when that buck curls, He's actually channeling that air into a different set of olfactory receptors, a different channel of his nose. Yeah, it just dropped him as the second time he's done this. Which so. doe but anyways, we're back. We're still recording. We're fine. So I've had questions on that. You know, if I put deer pee out, uh, if I put some, some estrus out and I've got five or six does in the field and the buck walks in and he starts All lip right. curling, he's not going to be able to identify any of those does in front of him as receptive. I was like, right. But when was the last time you saw the hot doe out of a group of five or six still standing in the field when the buck walked in? She's usually the first one out. Yeah, she'll okay. be the first one out while the rest of them still standing there. 
So it, it, it doesn't, it, we've never seen it matter down to that part of science. Uh, it, it, it's more of the yeah, quick yeah, draw she's the one me out real either. quick so I can try to identify which one of these does it is. And uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very unique tool, but that's what they're doing when they lip curl. They're identifying that, that, uh, that deer. Um, I think I just got kind of off on one of those tangents. <laughs> no, this is great education because I was uh, I, I purposely did that because I wanted to find out what more you could demonstrate for us. But then all of a sudden you bring out this rack. It's like, this is freaking awesome. Because you because the, the way you line it up with the camera, you could see back in there. It's like, because there's, there's multiple ports all around the nose. And stuff. it's like, it actually makes sense. And like how we can identify because a, a, a mature buck is going to know pretty much the entire harem around him from there once, right. once they, after they separate because they're going to communicate through through mock scrapes that everybody sets up throughout the days, you know, at the beginning of the year. And so they're going to kind of have an idea what, as they talk to each other because they're, they, they're communicating. They, they, they talk to each other. They're not, uh, not like they are today. Not like people are, you know, they don't talk anymore. They're just like, hey, I'll text you. Right, absolutely. Well, I had an old man one time. He was he held a couple of uh, public land records here in Alabama. I was talking to him at an expo, and he asked me one day, several years ago, probably about 10 years ago or so, he asked me, he was like, you know how to hunt a scrape? I said, find the big one. And he said, yeah, but why do you find the big one? So that's usually where he's, you know, bedding close to. That's when he's hitting every day before he comes, when he's going out and when he's coming back in, he's, he's checking it. Mm-hmm. I said, it's going to be the one that's closest to his, to his bedding area. It's the biggest one. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, but what about all those little ones? I was like, I don't know. I've never really hunted them. They, can, they tend to dry up every now and then. He said, do you know why? I said, no, I got a feeling you're fixing to educate me though. I said, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> he, he laughed. He said, all right. He said, let's do this. He said, we're going to go down the rabbit hole. He told me, he said, that buck will make perimeter scrapes all the way around. He said, but it's not marking his territory. He said, a lot of people say that that buck is marking his territory, but he's not. So say you have one buck on 60 or 80 acres and he's got a, there's a, say there's an old logging road or something around the entire thing. He's going to scrape all the way around that perimeter. Okay. And he's going to bed somewhere in there close where he's going to check them every couple of days. It's not to check and see what bucks come and go. It's so he can keep up with his harem of does. Oh. So if the does, so say, let's say the does are feeding on the east side of the property this week because there's just something so nutrient nutrient dense over there. They just can't stand to not have it. Okay. They go and they feed on the east side. Well, he's going to work that east side to figure out exactly which trail that is. That those does are using that way he can keep tabs on his harem throughout the year okay he's going to know where they're at so well say now there's they've eat all of this super nice food over here now there's some better food over here now on the west side mm-hmm. the east side's going to dry up he's not going to work those straight but maybe once every two or three weeks now instead of every other day he's going to be working the west side a lot of people would say, oh, man, someone's done shot that buck over here on the east side of the property because his scrapes dried up. Okay. No, he's on the west side keeping check on his harem. So as those does feed around that property, he's going to scrape. He's going to tend the scrapes in those areas. Those are more or less check marks 
So if when those does are using this side of the property, he's going to tend this side of the property. When they're using this side, he's going to tend this side. Mm-hmm. But if you can find the big one, there'll be a big scrape, like the size of a truck hood, or it might be one tree that's got four or five big scrapes under it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be the one you would want to actually use product on and hunt over. Mm-hmm. Um, you're more likely to catch him working the big scrape in a morning or afternoon then you will ever catch him using or working a small one. All right. So unless you're on the does, you're most likely not going to catch him oh, unless okay. you hunt the big one. Then so then with that idea there, so when a guy's out there hunting, they have multiple stands then, you, you how many mock scrapes? Because a lot of guys that I talk to usually only have maybe one or two, that's it. So as mm-hmm. a hunter, do you, do we want to have any, like, Several mock scrapes or just one or two? Like, what's the, the, the strategy behind this this way that you're not overloading an area with your sense? I would do, technically, if, if I like to look at using my sense like a deer naturally would. Okay. If I was a doe, what, where, where would I leave scent? I would leave it around the edge of the field or down the side of the road, not in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might would walk halfway down the road and then turn up a known deer trail and take that trail on into where I'm hunting at. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I would spray my non estrus dopey on my boots. And then that's when I would leave there and leave that road and walk up through that trail mm-hmm. to leave a good scent signature that there's been a dope up through this trail recently. Um, so mock scraping, if you're a buck that got pressured off of the neighboring property, you're already going to know there's another buck over here somewhere. Mm-hmm. So the best way to go about that, in my opinion, would be if you, you've you got a good stand placement, you know you've got deer activity that come through here, set your camera up, uh, set it up kind of high. That way they're not looking at the camera where they can see the flash on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they've got cameras out there that say no flash and black flash, but... I still have bucks walk up and they're looking right at my camera when it takes the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Same thing. Same boat. Even when you buy so, the three, $400 ones, you still run in that scenario. Same problem. But the higher you put them, just put them up higher and angle them down mm-hmm. and you get better. You get the same quality picture. You actually get an overhead view of the deer instead of a eye level view of him. And it, it tends to not spook them as much from what we found. Um, but Wherever you're hunting at, if you've got to stand there, you know that there's deer activity already or you wouldn't be wasting time there. But you could put a mock scrape right out there close to it. But me, what I have found is I make my mock scrapes with non-estrous doe pee. I don't use buck pee. I use doe doe urine, not estrus, but doe urine. Mm -hmm. I'll start it the entire, like I'll start it like right now with non-estrous doe urine. And those, those deer will start using that mock scrape because it's not an intrusive buck. It's a doe mm-hmm. that they just haven't found yet. So I'm not, I'm not going right in and putting some foreign buck pee in there, a buck that they, they can't identify. I'm going in with a doe that they can't identify. And they tend to start working it, and they'll end up taking that mock scrape over Okay. as long as I start it with doe pee. And certain areas are different. If you have a large doe population, it may be different than if you have a, a higher buck population. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for Alabama, the non-estrous doe urine 
it does not it, it doesn't spook them um so you, you can go in start your mop scrape with some non-estrus just kind of kick some dirt back spray around i don't stand in it and spray it i kind of stand back and spray it and let the wind blow it across my scrape so when you're and then so what you do you do almost like use it as the, the spray as a way to test the wind but you want to have that spray blow into the wind or follow with the wind so this way then it covers that area is what is what i'm right. understanding I'm, I want it to smell like that doe has walked around the entire area of that little mop scrape because those does are going to visit those scrapes mostly more than a buck will Mm -hmm. Um, because they're checkers, they're check marks or or check-in posts, if you would rather say that. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, That's where the does are checking in at to let their buck know that they're using this area. Mm -hmm. So if you're making a mop scrape, you're making a checking post. Or a check mark, um, or checkpoint, if you would rather. Uh, that might be the word I was looking for. Is checkpoint? Yeah, checkpoint makes <laughs> sense. Yeah, so a check mark, a checkpoint. I'm sorry about that. So you create it with the dough urine, and then they start using it, and then the bucks start using it, and then the does continue using it, and then they keep it fresh for you without you ever having to go back in there and do it on your own. Oh, that's intelligence. Very smart. And then when would you begin the process of introducing a foreign dominant buck smell? I would wait until closer to the rut. Maybe even wait till the rut is kind of in that lockdown point. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people say, you know, it's the lockdown phase. It's the deer just don't move. Well, that's right. They're not moving. But from what we've found on the farm and hunting across the country, most of that lockdown phase, a lot of people don't understand it. They just think the deer aren't eating. It's the moon. It's this. It's that. It's whatever. And it has nothing to do with it. You'll still see young deer during that lockdown. Mm Mm-hmm. You won't see mature deer. You won't see grown does out moving and feeding. That's because those does are bedded with their preferred buck. Yeah. They're bedded with them. They're bredded. They're they're bedded and waiting to be bred. Okay. Most of the does that we tend to see getting ran by bucks mm-hmm. are, are, are maiden does that have never been bred before. That makes sense. They don't know what's going on. There's a buck behind them. They don't know what's fixing to happen. They're just running. Um, so the lockdown point from what we found is, is when the maiden does are in the thickets, letting that mature buck keep the other bucks pushed away. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a, like a herd bull will get his cows pulled together in a valley where he can see everything. And then, or he'll get them pulled into a meadow where he can see everything around him. Mm-hmm. Any satellite bull comes in, he can go right to him. No questions asked. I see a satellite bull. Same way with these does and these bucks when they're getting into that lockdown phase. All right. It's not a moon phase. It's not a, not a, a warm week. It's those does are still, it don't matter how, what the temperature is. Those does are breeding 200 to 205 days. I mean, 160 to 165 days after they drop a fawn. A lot of people think that the rut falls according to cold fronts and moon phases. And that might have been something to that prior in history. But 
the gestation cycle is 200 to 205 days from egg fertilization to fawn drop. Okay. So that gives you 160 to 165 days before that doe's body is ready to actually be bred again and produce eggs. Mm -hmm. So that's when your rut falls. Not on the cold front, not on some rain, not on, well, the moon's, the moon's not out right now. It doesn't matter what the moon looks like, and it doesn't matter what the temperature is. 160 to 165 days after the fawns drop, that doe is ready to breed. So that's when your rut is, every year. So that makes it why, why yours falls in January. Ours falls right at the first, like right around Halloween, and then stretch for two weeks, and then we go, and then we have the the the, the multiple stages that we go through up here in the Midwest and stuff like that. Because I've still seen uh, bucks, like younger bucks, chase those maiden does into like early December. So it's like makes sense, and it's right. like I've seen them like whether I'm in Iowa, or Minnesota, or Wisconsin, it seems to be a very common trend. Right. Well, see if that doe. If that maiden doe misses getting bred on her first cycle, she will drop out of cycle for 28 to 30 days. Mm -hmm. Then she'll come back into another cycle. That cycle only lasts 72 to 76 hours. They're only stand ready around 30 hours of that 72 to 76 hours. The last 30 hours or so is when they're actually ready to stop running, stand there, and let the buck breed them. Mm -hmm. So if you have a lot of does in the area, those bucks are not going to run each one of those does down and catch them within 72 to 76 hours. That's why it's important to keep up with your doe management. Yes. More than it is your buck management. That's a hundred percent true. I, it's, it's a little bit tougher to get that through some of the older hunters, like my dad, like his age, like the ones that hit their late fifties through from there until, uh, to retire from hunting. So, but Nowadays, like with the with the QDMA that's been going through for the last twenty years, more and more folks are a little bit more focused on that two to one ratio. So this way, then you don't have these these uh, empty wombs running around for several months out of the year. Right. Well, the I think the problem with that is an honest problem. Um, most of the older generation remembers a time when the deer numbers were low. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I've got uncles that are in their 60s that remember when they were 8 to 10 years old, the first time they ever heard a deer snort or saw a deer track in the dirt road. Mm -hmm. um, like if someone found a deer track on the dirt road, they told everybody they saw. Yeah. And then everybody would go down there and look at it. Like, yeah. man, you ain't seen one of them. You know, it's just, and now those same areas that just 50 years ago, it was rare to find a deer. Mm-hmm. You can't plant a garden because there's so many deer. Yes. And if you think about it, it kind of goes back to our CW, my, my CWD argument that I've had. We have more wildlife now than we have had since we founded this country. Yeah. Because uh, uh, Civil there's War. Yeah. Because the Civil War did a big number on market hunting and stuff like that. And so we right. were. I mean, the fur, the fur trade and feather trade. Mm -hmm. We have more waterfowl. We have so much waterfowl now. Look at snow geese. The snow geese population has boomed to where it's no limits. Shoot all the snow geese you can shoot in the snow geese season. Yeah. Unlimited snow geese. Mm -hmm. um, your ducks, your deer, your bear, your coyote, your bobcat. You, you have all of these animals that are more or higher populations now than we've had since we settled the country. 
Yes, it's so true. And we're seeing these diseases and we're seeing these management practices that the older generation, they never got to see Mm -hmm. because they didn't have the numbers. So in their day, in order to have deer, you have to let deer grow. Mm -hmm. You have to let them walk. You have to let them grow. If you want deer on your property, you've got to let them live. Uh, Don't shoot the does because the does make more deer. Shoot a buck or two. Don't shoot your does. Now we have so many deer. It's like, all right, where do we fix this? We have to shoot some does. Well, you don't want to shoot does because the does make your deer. We understand that. Yes, we do. But (laughs) if you don't keep them thin, then you're going to have late breeding. You're going to have smaller deer. You're going to have, you're going to end up having, you know, poor quality deer because of carry capacities in the wood. You're going to have deer being born later in the year. So the vegetation's not there to carry their body weight into the winter. Uh, you have a lot of that. Uh, we do know through science that a buck born 30 days later is it can take that buck up to five years to reach the same potential as a buck yearling that was born on the first breeding cycle. Mm-hmm. So if a doe breeds in November, say, say doe A breeds in November and doe B breeds in December, the November buck yearling is going to be a super phenomenal buck compared to the December buck. Yeah. And there's just 30 days difference in them. But it's because of the vegetation and the food that supplies the milk and the dough. So we know that through science. Mississippi State University has actually proven that. That is a nice study that I know, didn't uh, haven't heard about. I was talking to a guy yesterday. He won uh, he won first place in the Quest uh, Buck Big Buck concert contest last year for Wisconsin. Him and his buddy won uh, a pair of side by sides. But he was talking about like how we have the anti hunters that are now DNR agents. So it's been kind of a an uphill battle here. That's why we see all these weird laws that don't make sense and such. And so they're just they're just slowly manipulating the system until we run out of until they no longer want to until they, until they get to what their goal is listening to Ray Newberg talk to the Sportsman Alliance has been a eye opener about how much they have to fight to maintain everything because right now in Wisconsin we're back to an court again to try to maintain our hunting season for wolves because last year people got all up in arms about it but it's like they don't really know how many wolves are actually running around here? Because we have a lot of bears that are getting forced down into Iowa, southern Iowa, Illinois, because of them up there. We have a lot of black bear here in Alabama. A lot of black bear, but we don't have a black bear season. What? So we have some black bears. Yeah, we have so many black bears. They're, they're becoming a nuisance in neighborhoods. And uh, we still do not have a black bear season in Alabama. It's going to take. Unfortunately, it's going to. Have, it's it's a child or someone like that's going to be. It's, it's going to be the a meal for somebody. Even New Jersey is going through the same thing, and they stopped theirs, and they have bears everywhere. I mean, last fall there was a ten year old that shot an eight hundred and fifteen pound black bear here in Wisconsin. That's a huge bear. Now keep in mind that bear is om, over almost thirty years old. Because that bear's been around a minute, but that bear's been very, very sneaky. But talk about like peaking at your highest point at such a young age. And the, the DNR made a whole big thing. It's like they had to use a forklift to lift it up to show you how massive this bear really was. 
Yeah. We've had, they, they've learned that relocating the black bear does not do anything for them. No. It, it does not actually remove them. They'll, they will over time come right back. They've uh, just north of my house here, about 50 minutes north, they trapped a bear that was being a nuisance bear. He was a young male. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they finally trapped him, they got his collar off of him mm-hmm. and had a Florida collar on him. No kidding. A Florida wildlife collar on him. So they called Florida. They gave him their information, all this, that, and the other. The bear was actually collared and tagged in Tallahassee, Florida. Okay. Six months prior to being found in Tibby, Alabama. No kidding. So now, did that bear wander that direction, or was he dropped off? He 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 walked the entire way. No kidding. Yeah, he had to swim. I don't know. I think I think they said there's seventy some odd creeks and rivers between Tallahassee and Tibby. Mm-hmm. that he had to cross just to get there unless he walked the interstate. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Here they just kind of hop around some of the frozen lakes right. and streams if they, if they don't go into hibernation. I mean, we have a, right. there's a freak sow over by Madison that has continually dropped like four, four cups every time she goes through breeding cycle. And it's only because that she has the right amount of warmth, the feed, the food, the water, everything out there. So the UW or UW of Madison has been studying this bear for a lot of years, stuff like that, because it's one of the freak ones that can produce that much. But then again, all of the right circumstances are right there available to her to, to be able to right. do that. Right. We've got one they trapped behind my parents' house and tagged and collared it. Well, they didn't collar it. They just tagged it. Mm-hmm. They gave him double ear tags. And uh, like four or five weeks later, he walked in front of my game camera an hour and a half north on our hunting land. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they tagged him in Satsuma, Alabama, which is only like 20 miles from Mobile Bay. And then he walked right in front of my trail camera on our hunting land an hour and a half north of uh, of Satsuma. Man, it's like down <laughs> up here, man. We Every hunter that I know always carries a sidearm. I'm just like, for you guys, don't, I didn't think that would be a big of an issue. But since you guys don't have a bear hunting season, you, I bet everybody down there you know carries a sidearm when they go up in the tree stand. No, nah, they, they don't bother nobody. Uh, if you see a bear down here in the woods, um, you've done something right. Most of the time, they know exactly where you're at. And they know you're in the woods, and they're you're not going to be seen. They'll come out 30 minutes after you leave and dump all your feed. They'll <laughs> come out right from your camp. They'll just lay down on the ground and shovel it in with one arm into their mouth, all of your feed. <laughs> so you can't just pile feed. You actually have to scatter it and throw it and just put it in feed troughs or something and put fences or something around it to where only deer can poke their nose through to get to it or something no kidding they just they destroy everything that is so true but yeah they uh they, they don't bother you they run from you a lot down here they we've had them in my backyard excuse me all my life um they just you open the door and they'll stand there and look at you and then they like take off running yeah they just haul at that's that's um, kind of kind of the same common thing here we we had a barrack walk through west salem here earlier this year and he just walked right on out but yeah they, they you're, you're right they, they're not going to bother you it's, it's we have the, the the wolves you have to worry about and that's usually mostly up mm-hmm. north yeah it's like utah i went out to utah a couple years ago to try my hand at elk hunting uh they weren't bugling, of course, so that made it impossible. It's kind of like turkey hunting from what I found. If they're not bugling, you're not going to find them. They can hide very well. Yes. Um, 
but they were they told me the first thing out there said I was asking well, we had good had grizzly bears out there, you know, and they said, No, we hadn't had a grizzly bear in since like seventy three, but we got black bears, they'll eat you. And I was like, I ain't worried about no black bear. And it's like, oh no, these aren't Alabama black bears. These black bears in Utah will hunt you down, stalk you down, and eat you. And I was like, You gotta be kidding me. I was like, No, like, nope, absolutely not. And I got to look him. Alaska actually has more black bear attacks than grizzly attacks. Yes, the black bears are very aggressive. Uh, we haven't, I haven't heard anything here in Wisconsin for a while. I, I, th- I don't even know when the last attack was, but yeah, they they could be quite aggressive, very assertive because like those cold winters are trying to pack on those pounds before they go into hibernation. Right. So we don't get they don't even hibernate down here. It doesn't get cold enough. No. But it's 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 neat. It's a different type of hunting down here, and it's a different type of hunting up there. I like hunting in the Midwest, though. It, it, it is a completely different style of hunting, and uh, it, it's, it's got me it got me glued. Yeah, no kidding. Because I know last fall you were talking about all the all – because the, like, I started doing a lot more research and mule deer hunting and such, and that, that's one of my uh, bucket list hunts out there in Nebraska just because, A, it's close, two, it's cheap, and three, I know, I know quite a few folks out there. I tried making stuff happen with some of your friends and stuff like that, but then you overwhelm me with all these people here, and I try to try to set, try to set up something like that, and we all just kind of got distracted, and it's like then I got all these – Man, I I have so many podcast guests, and it's just like just not enough. Uh, it's just too much information for them to for like for the audience because most people are used to maybe one podcast a week because they not only do they listen to me, but they also listen to whoever else they listen to too as well. So right. we try and drop like three or four podcasts. Like, and like right now, I found that with my main one I drop on Wednesday, and then my my food one on Friday, it seems to be a good balance. I'm getting consistent download from both sides, but the food one's taking a little bit longer to get up to because it's like it's not a routine where they're used to on Wednesdays. Yeah, that's it. I finally mastered my chicken wing on the grill and I'm happy about that. (laughs) Chicken wing. Oh, grilling, grilling chicken wings. Yeah. I finally mastered my chicken wing grilling. So I don't burn them anymore. (laughs) I finally figured out how to not scorch them and make them twice as good. That's excellent. Then, Uh, so with uh, native uh, native sense, then so where are some of the next next moves you're going to make? Because you talked about some of the products now. How many? Well, actually, want to take a step back. How many products do you currently run right now on your e store? So we have our hats, of mm-hmm. course. We have a few shirts. We have a uh, custom hand turned grunt call called the War Party Grunt Call, made by Conviction Game Calls out of uh, West Point, Mississippi. Okay. Uh, then we have our Seduction Estrus which is our high peak estrus um, that comes right here from our mm-hmm. farm here in mm-hmm. Alabama. And then we have our deception non estrus. We have our war party buck urine. We have our seduction gel, which is just a polymer based absorbent gel with estrus. Let's, in it. Uh, look, um, with, the, so with that polymer, with that gel, then how do you d- mm-hmm. uh, deploy that? Do you just rub it on a tree? Do you, how do you, how do you mix that in? It won't stick. What's that? It won't stick. I, I, I've tried to get it to stick. It won't stick to a tree like a petroleum gel. Okay. Um, it's just an absor- absorbent gel. It's uh, We buy it from a company called Seed Barn out of Florida. They use it a lot in agriculture. Um, it, it's, it'll hold anything water-based. Okay. So we just pour our, our, our urine on it, and it's just it's time-released is what it is. Mm. So um, it'll last eight, nine, ten days or so as long as it doesn't rain and it's not in direct sunlight. So if you got an overhanging limb, uh, 
what I like to do is I just take the lid off and scoop some up in the lid and toss it on the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, so like if I'm going in on Friday morning and I'm going hunting and I know I'm going to be off for the whole weekend to go hunting, I'll take and use gels. I know I'm, I know there's a buck in the area and I'm going to hunt this area the whole weekend. I'm just going to, I'm just going to kind of get in there and soak in. I'm going to take a scoop of those gels, a good scoop, and we'll toss them out on the ground. And then that's it. I'm just going to go in there and I'm going to sit every day that week or that weekend because I've already got it baited up with uh, with scent. So I don't have to go back in and reapply every day. I can throw that out and I'm good for a week as long as it doesn't rain overnight. Because okay. um, if it rains, it'll just fill the gels up with water. Uh, and push all of the scent out. So I have to just, I just take another scoop and toss it out. It's no biggie. Okay. But um, like if I'm, when I get ready to leave on Sunday afternoon, I'll go in front of one of my trail cameras and I'll take me a scoop and I'll toss it on the ground in front of my trail camera. Okay. And then I'll see every single buck that comes through there and checks that, that scent throughout the week while I'm at all work. Right. So it kind of gives me a good idea of what type of bucks, how many bucks, and the quality of the bucks I have in that general area mm-hmm. that's interested in hot does at this time. All right. That makes sense. It's, it's a very handy tool. Uh, and we have the buck urine that's going to be in the gels, too, for putting in scrapes. So if you like to hang cameras on scrapes just to watch the activity and try to time him down and catch him. And, you know, when he finally makes that daylight run to where he's moving in daylight, you can put some of the buck urine out in it and he'll come and clean it right back out every single no night. Just, oh, I have yeah. a buddy of mine that I interviewed last year. He shot his, his buck was named Yukon. It was a 180 class green score. And he had, I think, it had like nine or ten revels, those new ones that came out from Tacticam. And because Tacticam is just down the road, they're made out of Caledonia, Minnesota. And uh, he was able to track it with those, with those, with those cameras coming up with all that feed coming into his cell phone. He managed to have it pinned down and put that arrow through it and it ran. And it's like, and he didn't want to spook it. So he kind of just basically waited until dark then left and came back the next day. Now the downside is there's wolves down there. So when he came, Crawford now, my Crawford County is south of me. So that's how, f- so there's wolves that tra- travel the Mississippi Valley right here, right through La Crosse and around the area, down to the area, down to his area. And when he got to it, everything below the, uh, the front two hooves were gone. Just the only thing that was left was the head and, and what was left on the, on the front two legs. That was it. Everything else was gone. Yeah. So, so what he ended up doing, though, is he got it caped out. He told the taxidermist to donate the meat to the local uh, food shelter there, and that's what he did with it. And so he didn't get, a, didn't get, any eat, didn't get to eat the deer, but uh, he still got the memory of tracking him down because he'd been tracking him for a couple of years. Yeah. Mad gummit. That sucked. My dad had that happen in, uh, he had that happen in Minot, North Dakota a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. He shot a really nice buck, and he was sitting there waiting on it, just giving him time, shot it with his bow. And uh, he was giving it time, you know, he watched him, he ran over a little sand berm mm-hmm. and behind it. And he said it wasn't, said it wasn't five, 10 minutes. He looked, you know, it was a coyote bouncing down the little sand berm. He said, I got to watching that coyote. He said, I ain't run right over there where that deer crossed down. And he said, he was turned around and he looked right at me. And then he, boop, under the hill he went. And he was like, oh, I better go get my deer. He's going to go eat my deer. Yeah. And he said, before I could walk over there, and get to where the deer was at. And he was like, they don't eat both the hams off. Oh, the deer. shit. That fast. 
<laughs> that was quick. Like um, this buck you see behind me here, I shot him right at dusk. He jumped over the fence. He and little did I know he ran over the fence, killed over forty yards dead. Well, he jumped on a guy's property I didn't have permission for. But when I came out the next morning to find it, it uh, there's a pack of coyotes that I've been I've been tra- I've been following them for years. There's like three or four of them out there. I came out there. Uh, the hams are pretty much destroyed, and he he ate the genital- they ate the genitalia. But that's it. So I got the majority of the deer back. I just kind of cut where they ate. So I so I don't have to worry about pulling the colon out and everything else like that so i just pulled the deer off of his property because i woke him up at six o'clock in the morning he was a little bit of a richard and then i uh, pulled it to a separate property it's this way it's off of his and i just sat there and i did feel dressed in it and then put in the back of uh, our car and it's like uh, it's a, a ford fusion 08 and like uh, what makes it so unique is that the trunk is so big it holds a, a big full-size buck in the back of it and we just put the back seats down uh i Alicia, my wife, pulled to grab the handlers, pulled to get it in there, and I'm just pulling all the all the, all the dead weight behind, just like trying to lift it up. But it's like the car's always so far off the ground. But boy, I was a pain in the butt. But talk about a heck of experience. Yeah, talk about big trunks. Made me think about that time. My grandfather, he was the uh, purchasing manager of a chemical company called uh, Degusa. Okay. Uh, he had a lot of people that he worked with over the years. Uh, they had plants in uh, Ohio and New Jersey and Louisiana and one here in Mobile. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a guy that he used to work with that had took a job in New Jersey and they used to fly down once a year and come hunting with okay. us. And they would always rent a car to come hunting with us. And they, they rented a Lincoln Continental. Okay. And uh, they showed up one time. They ended up, they I want to say they killed, I know they had, I think, one hog and a deer and they loaded both of those things in the trunk of that lincoln continental (laughs) to take it back to the place they were staying at to clean them and put them in a cooler put both of them in the back that was the biggest trunk (laughs) (laughs) that was the only time i that was the only time in my life i'd ever met anybody that put a deer or anything like that in a trunk of a car was i i might have been 11 or 12 maybe 13 uh-huh. when that happened <laughs> i'll never forget you, you it you gotta do what you gotta do because at the time we didn't have a truck so we had to we had to make it work yeah yeah I, I i think his name was roger him and his wife used to come down once a year and go hunting mm-hmm. and uh we'd always let them go hunt in our best one of our best fields we had okay and uh they always killed a good deer when they come down too. They, they'd always kill a good one. And uh, I won't ever forget that. When you said that, it made me think about when they put it in the back of that darn big Lincoln Continental. I wonder what kind of conversation <laughs> they had with Red Look. I was like, I'm um, sir, there's, there's, there's blood in the trunk. It's like, what happened here? Can you explain this? We, we made jokes about it for years. Even after that, they would still come back down and hunt. We would just, we would pick on them about that and be like, you got that Lincoln back? It was a good time. So when you go, when a guy goes down to Alabama to hunt, what's the out-of-state uh, non-resident tag for uh, for for a guy who wants to go hunting for a whitetail? I think that it is somewhere around the two hundred and ninety-five dollar range. Okay, might be in the three hundred dollar range okay. now. I'm not sure. I, the state of Alabama went kind of crazy this year. So they, they opened up last year. They made it legal to hunt over bait. Okay. But you have to buy a $15 permit to hunt over bait. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to buy your standard hunting license. Then you still have to buy a $15 uh, permit to hunt over mm-hmm. bait. 
now this year you can hunt coyotes and hogs at nighttime over bait for like another 35 or 44 dollars mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that outside of deer season so the permit is only good while deer season is out so every year at the end of the last like the day after deer season you can renew your your nighttime hog and coyote hunting permit um but they started offering packages this year i got to looking at it the other day when i was buying my license to go on a dove hunt and i don't even know what they offer now it's it was wild it's it's changed a lot this year um i mean usually it doesn't cost me over like 73 dollars to get my state duck stamp my wildlife management uh residential and my federal duck mm-hmm. stamp uh, it's about 73 dollars in all as a resident um and then this year, just for my resident, it was like 30 bucks for my resident when it used to be like 24 or $23 for yeah. a resident. So they went up like 30. Yeah. My resident this year was for four tags for one buck and three dough, a buck of statewide tag. And that ran me uh, 40, $42. Now get this. If you were to come up to hunt with me, your gun or, or, or an archery license is 160 bucks. It's not bad. Yeah, it's real cheap. And that's Ohio. That's the same thing as it's in Ohio. I thought Ohio was a little bit more expensive than than how cheap. It was only like a hundred. It's like a hundred and forty dollars for a buck tag and twenty for a doe. Oh, that's not bad at all. That's really reasonable. Not not compared to Iowa uh, or Illinois. Illinois is like over six hundred bucks. Iowa, you have to you have to put points in, and then that's usually about three or four years. And then once you get your, that's another six hundred bucks there. So all in all, you're about a thousand dollars into it. Right, it's like Kansas. It's five hundred dollars to apply for a tag. Yeah, it's it's quite ridiculous. But they have big deer for that reason. Yeah, but if you want to, sh- like Iowa. Yeah, yeah, it takes like I want to say like rule of thumb is it takes one year. You pretty much have to donate five hundred bucks your first year before you get drawn for Kansas. It usually takes about two drawings to get drawn for Kansas. It usually takes four for Iowa. Yes, it is a minute to get to it. But when you look at the record street read stuff like that, the best place to shoot big bucks is in Wisconsin. Even though we are the, I don't know if we're considered the capital of CWD, but we are just played with it all over the place. But, you know, the thing is when it comes down to it, though, it's like I was talking to Kurt Headington from Expedition Archery, and it's like we think it's, it's something that's naturally occurring. It's something that does not get – chemically induced something that must be a disease or something like that kind of like a cancer but it's ne- there's never been a transition so off topic or like uh, we were talking like i was talking to other folks about it i think it's just an, a ploy for anti-hunters just to kind of scare us to scare the non-hunter into it like trying to get them to steer away from it but with everybody purposely going out and hunting deer now for conservation but for eating food like hunt to eat and all that fun stuff has been really made a big comeback it's really changed a lot of people's actually once they have a that first bite it's like god damn this is delicious and uh i think that's what a whole it is is trying to deter people from buying more and more because that's just to begin like, we can go down a rabbit hole with with um what's going on but the worst part is though there are steps being taken to to deliberately end all hunting season i was talking today or yesterday to the guy that was that won the the quest um uh buck contest he was telling me that uh, out there in colorado they're trying to pass legislation where you can't take the buck out of state or the 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 uh, bull out of state if you shoot an elk <laughs> yeah so what's crazy to me in utah you can buy an elk tag over the counter but you have to draw for a mule deer 
Weird. Yeah. You would think you'd have to draw for an elk. Like in Nebraska, you can only draw an elk tag if you're a resident once in a lifetime. Yes. Or I think a non-resident, I, th- I think, I'd have to go back and read it. I think a non-resident can kill an elk only if they win the super lottery tag. Okay. I think. And it's it might actually even be taken off of the list of the super lottery tag for non-resident. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look. Okay. I've always wanted to go and hunt elk out there, but I've, I don't know that I can. Yeah, you um, almost have a better luck of trying to get an elk tag here in Wisconsin because three years ago, well, this is your, four years ago now, we had our inaugural um, elk season, but you know, we only released 10 tags. Uh, last year, or is it last year, this year is going to be the first inaugural season for Missouri for hunting elk. Right. So they're it's crazy. They're making a comeback. You know, it's taken it's taken us a long time to get to this point, but at least we're going to start seeing more elk place that we haven't seen them. But I think some of the oldest records that they have, they found elk down in Florida. So elk used to be all over the all over the country. And Alabama, you wouldn't know if you looked at it on Google Maps, but Alabama used to be very land based, much more like Kansas prairie ground. Okay. Than timber. Alabama's 80% industry is timber operations. No kidding. So when that started up, everyone started planting pine trees. Right. And that is just about all we have in this entire state now. It's hardwood and pine trees. Mm-hmm. It's very, very rare you find original prairie-type ground um, with wide open spaces. Uh, they've reinstated elk into uh, um, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kate's, Kate's Cove, popular place. A lot of people go through and look every year in Gatlinburg or just outside of Gatlinburg. Yeah, they've uh, they've reinstated elk there, um, and they're doing they're doing really well. Um, I don't think we'll ever have that big. Well, I don't think we'll ever have elk back in Alabama. We got too many rednecks. <laughs> um, <laughs> the mule deer. We'd never have mule deer in Alabama either. That mule deer wouldn't last ten minutes in Alabama. Well, get this: is like we don't have any antelope. Uh, east of the Missouri, which makes because like we have all this per open land for southeast or southwestern Minnesota, all over Iowa, even in Missouri, but it's like all in Nebraska and Oklahoma and New Mexico and Arizona. So we don't have anything. New Mexico is loaded with antelope. Oh yeah, yeah. That's where that's where if you want to shoot, if you have a, that's where most likely have a potential of shooting a world record there. But it's weird that we don't have anything over the cross weird. It's like they'd be nice to see them come over here because shoot these little guys here because it's like our winters are no different than they are over there in Montana. Because I mean you can shoot antelope over there and those winters are just as nasty. Right. And one thing I will say about out-of-state tags, Nebraska is a very, very nice state to hunt. It gets hammered, though. I've noticed a difference out there over the last probably six to eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking hammered uh, by hunters. Um, from New York, we talked to a guy from New York last year. It was out there hunting. He said it's the closest place to New York. Or it's, just, it's the closest stop to New York to hunt mule deer over the counter tag. Okay. I bet you there was just in that one forest. We, we were hunting the national forest. It was like 98,000 acres. Mm-hmm. I bet there was 1,300 people. Wow. Trying to hunt that forest. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of foot traffic in that area right there. Yeah. A lot of traffic. Um, there, it's just, it gets hammered. Uh, if I was to, I, I'm looking more into going a little further, I think, northwest for uh, mule deer 
uh, in the future. Mm-hmm. They have they have nice quality deer. They have phenomenal whitetails in in Nebraska. Uh, abundant whitetails. The mule deer population just seems really low to me right now. Mm-hmm. From what I've seen over the last several years, yeah. it's just it's really declined. But for a tag out there, anyone that wanted to try it, a tag is uh, something like two hundred forty two bucks for an archery tag or five hundred bucks for a rifle tag. Um, and that's a statewide tag, 242 bucks for a statewide archery tag. Um, but it's it's been getting pounded. I'm talking pounded. Mm-hmm. Um, after this last trip, I probably won't go back for a few years. Uh, other than just going and having a, a fun hunt, you know, with, with Cody or somebody. You know, mm-hmm. I'd go have a fun hunt, spend a week at deer camp with them just to have fun. Yeah. But I put it this way. I've eaten six consecutive tags from Nebraska. Oh, for mule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a lot of uh, driving, a lot of windshield time, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of money invested there. So it's like it's probably just easier yeah. just to go out there and just enjoy the deer camp. Then I know uh, North. It's eighteen hundred miles one way for me. Oh snap! Oh snap! That's a long time in front of the wind and in front of a wind uh, uh, a uh, wheel. I love it. I love it out there. It would mm-hmm. be my second home if I could ever get my wife to leave this daggum beach. <laughs> but yeah it's yeah i would probably try for somewhere else uh north texas or new mexico or somewhere like that i mm-hmm. think so i think people would have a lot better better opportunities somewhere like that um there's a lot of people out there i don't know what how long is your or how long is your rifle season out there for whitetail it is nine days and then we do a holiday hunt for another Oh, four days, five. It's not. It's over the over pretty much Christmas time is when they have it. When the kids are all at school, so the they weren't able to get their youth hunt or get one. Then they have an opportunity. To, uh, gives them another opportunity there. Bow season though is pretty ridiculous. It, it starts September eighteenth as of yesterday. Then, but it all depends on the county. Like my particular county, it runs all the way until January thirty first for bow. We'll open up. I'll have to go back and look again. They've been changing seasons up on us. We'll either open up October. 10th or the 15th mm-hmm. and then we go out february 10th you can bow hunt all year long or you can rifle hunt no starting november 15th to february 10th okay you get three bucks in a doe a day wow <laughs> in alabama <laughs> holy buckets that's a lot of meat right there there's a lot of deer down in your area then huh Nobody ever does it though. Yeah, I mean, you have a select few. Now, don't get me wrong. You have a select few of outlaws that will shoot a buck a day if they can. Yeah. If they see him, they're shooting him. Um, but yeah, you you can legally kill a doe a day and then three bucks in the state of Alabama. Virginia has a weird season like that too, where you can hunt like does pretty much all year round. Like, there's a weird. I'm not sure if it's true anymore, but I. Like April, you can still even hunt bucks out there. And by that point in time, the antlers have already dropped. So it's like you have no idea what you're shooting until you open up and find out what the dangly bits are. Right. Well, we have what they call uh, uh, deprivation permits. I'm sure y'all have them too. Uh, crop deprivation. We don't. No, I'm not familiar with that. We don't have something like that down up here. So we have what's called a crop deprivation permit here in Alabama. And I think they have them in Mississippi. Um where if you have farm ground, you can actually get a permit, crop deprivation permit, to where you can shoot deer outside of season. Like, you can shoot them all summer long at nighttime, in the daytime, it doesn't matter. No kidding. Um, 
Yeah, because they destroy your crop. Yeah, it's very true. We have our tur- turkeys are our biggest culprits up here. Farmers mm-hmm. hate turkeys up here. So you, you can shoot deer uh, under that crop de- deprivation permit all year long. So a lot of your good deer end up getting killed in the middle of the summer while they don't have any antlers uh, under crop deprivation. Ah, all right, all right. Yeah, we don't. Ha- must not be a big enough issue for for crop damage to open up dep- crop deprivation tags for the farmers around these parts. Yeah, we have it here, and that that gets a lot of our deer. Well, you'll see deer, you know, early in the year, you'll see deer that'll be, man, that deer's got potential, mm-hmm. and then they just they disappear. And you know what it is? It's the guy out back that's got the <clears throat> three hundred acre farm cotton farm shooting them at night, shooting them when he sees them out in his field. Oh yeah, because you have cotton down there, so that play, yeah, that's a big issue right there. I'm learning more about the Civil War. It's like the South really had a stranglehold when it comes down to industry. When I, one another aspect of it, there's a book that came out decades ago, and it is. Give me just a moment here, but the book is like four thousand dollars if you can even find it. But it has almost there. It is. I said this to my father-in-law. He loves to read. It's called uh, The Forgotten Cause of the Civil War, A New Look at the Slavery Issue by Lawrence R. Tenzer, E.D. Pot, period D. But the book is like four grand. And, and good luck trying to find a PDF on it. But it, it actually probably talks about why we really went to the Civil War and stuff like between the North and the South. Right. Because I think one part of it was like the feudal system based off of the capitalism's capital system. So it's a there's a there's, it's a it's a drama that it's a lot to inhale. But you know how history is run by written by the winners. So it's like we really don't know the truth. Right. We will never know the truth. It. I, I'll put it this way: a lot of people give the South a bad rap, but you you don't see like when you watch the news and you see all of this crap going on, all this racial crap going on. It's not down here. No, <laughs> it's no. never it's never down here. It, you never see anything happening in Biloxi, Mississippi, or Mobile, Alabama, or Birmingham. You know, like Selma. Everybody always goes back to Selma, the march across the bridge with Martin Luther King, and there's never anything major goes on down here. I mean, we we're nothing like a lot of people up in the north. Yeah, because we have we have Baltimore, Chicago, Minneapolis. Uh, D.C., New York, uh, Seattle, Portland, and then wherever Antifa decides to show up. Right. It's it's completely opposite than a lot of people even want to to even think mm-hmm. about. Comparing the, funny th- the, the funny thing is all those states, all those cities are named, their entire uh, city council is all Democrats. It's like they keep voting them in, but it's like it's insanity. It's like you keep expecting something different, but you keep voting the same people in. Gordon That's Lightfoot, it. man, she looks like Be- Beetlefoot, Beetlejuice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah when you see gordon lightfoot man or uh yeah, yeah she looks just like beetlejuice yeah, and, yeah just, you have that problem you have you have the the yeah there's a lot of crap going on in this country that really needs to get fixed really does that's so it's true fun. i was talking to uh big jim morton uh big john morton he runs a big uh custom calls there in louisiana makes some bomb ass calls it's like you should listen to the podcast he does a couple he, he uh um rips a couple of uh uh chirps off with his uh with it and uh he's big uh thing is that uh he's a leo officer so and it's like we were talking someone we we're talking here but off top off off camera and it's interesting to to see the dynamics between the north and the south and like where all the news is being perpetrated from but uh but if you for those who are like when you're if you know if you ever 
wants it. Like, you take a, a young one out to want to go get turkey and they get, shoot their first bird ever. Send the wing bones over to him. I'll get you in touch with him so this way then he could set them up with a, a uh, call. Because his, his whole uh, thing is he wants to develop these calls as family heirlooms. They're they're not cheap. They're about 110 120 bucks. but then you're a duck hunter. So it's like there's duck calls that are over two grand. Right. And so right. it's like, but it's a very great concept to get them addicted to it, especially when they get their first bird and they can take those wing bones and it's like, he could rip them off. He also makes a grunt call out of them too, huh. which is crazy. And, and they're, they're, they're very, they're, they're nothing like synthetic that you'd ever hear from, from a, from a plastic reed. It's just really pure is how I can describe it to you. That's crazy. I've never heard of a, a wing bone making a grunt call. Yeah, you should listen to the podcast, man. It is quite crazy when you listen to him talk about it. And he's just a down-home guy, and he started his project similar to like yours, and he just does it to pay his bills and take his kids out hunting. That's it. We wanted to do this so that we would have a quality product for ourselves with the Alabama DNR wanting to put deer urine bands on stuff. It was more or less my partner was interested in it to help cover feed bills. Because he has a, he has a, he's got a 1,000 acres under fence, so it'll preserve that he actually sells hunts on. Okay. And, uh, it's expensive feeding these deer all year. Oh yeah. Well, uh, there was, I think this was 2016 or 2015. There was a outfitter up in Trumpelow County, just North of me here. And he had eight of his trophy bucks and he was offering like a hundred thousand dollar reward for the lead of the rest for the guy. Cause his, uh, overall cost per deer was like a, like 15,000 a year. So these, these deer are expensive. Like I get it. They're expensive to feed and maintain and get bigger and get bigger and go from there. Yeah, they do. They we spend about sixty thousand dollars a year feeding the deer that we've got in the fence. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, trying to then that's what you try to. That's why you developed a native sense. Yep, that's pretty freaking sweet. So Zach, is there any have a quality product and help pay feed bills? Right. And then then hopefully make a few bucks on the side. Now, uh, that's it. what's so we got the we talked about the new products. We talked about some of the products you sell on your website. Is there anything else that we missed? that you want to tell the audience because like you said a lot of seasons are going to start open up iowa starts october 1st our started up yesterday so what do you think what's any anything you want to cover before we part ways so we will begin collecting estrus uh around i don't have my calendar in front of me i don't know where it went uh we should have a first small batch of estrus ready to ship uh the week before halloween okay and then it'll come uh, every other every other day every two to three days we'll have we'll have more available uh coming straight from the farm every two to three days after we start that collection throughout the end of uh, season perfect so the, the 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 people that hunt up north make sure you get your orders ready for it because our our uh our rut season starts right after the Halloween, pretty close to it. All depends on how the how, how it gets cold and stuff. So, but it's usually always right around there, and such. Just just remember, it doesn't matter on the temperature. Yeah, it only matters on that uh, gestation clock. So that gestation cycle is two hundred to two hundred and five days mm-hmm. from egg fertilization to fawn drop. Yeah. So if you go back and you start looking at trail camera pictures, when you see those spotted fawns start showing up with the does on trail cameras, they're about four to five weeks old. Go back to your calendar and deduct 200 to 205 days and then go back another month. And that's going to give you roughly the drop time of that yearling. That's the day you need to be 
that's the week that you need to be in the woods yeah. because that's going to be your hottest week is when it's going to be the month before that fawn drop mm-hmm. or that fawn started showing up on camera. That's so go back to go back 200 to 205 days from the day you first see that spotted your on camera mm-hmm. and then add 30. And then you're going to be looking at that time frame, that window, you'll be looking back into November sometime. That's the window that you're looking for. And if you can, if you can get that math figured out with your deer, it's going to be that same time every single year, unless that doe misses that year. Okay. You know, it only takes that doe one time to miss and then she's, she's going to be late every year after that. Really? They could never reset that clock. The clock starts. And once that clock makes every year, that clock's going to continue to go off the same time mm-hmm. every year. If it goes off and you shoot the buck that was running her or shot the buck that had her bedded down and she misses, she's going to be back in estrus 30 days or so later. Mm -hmm. And if she gets bred then, she's going to do the same thing next year. 200, 205 days. Remember. That's 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 a that's our two hundred to two hundred five days. That's a good way to to end our conversation there, my friend. So what's the what are some of the best ways to get a hold of you, Zach? You can find us at www.nativesensellc.com, mm-hmm. or you can call me. My phone number is on the website. Uh, it's 251-298-9334, mm-hmm. or you can uh, find us on Facebook at Native Sense and uh, shoot us a message. Yeah, because I think you're on also on Instagram, aren't you? Yeah, we are. I'd, I don't have time to keep up with all of it, though. Yeah, right. It's almost at the point I need to hire a social media manager. Uh, do you know? It's almost at the point. Uh, actually, I listened to Zach Abbas. He's a friend of mine. He's also, like, I introduced him to Cody. And uh, he had on his podcast, he has a, his, his podcast is called The Mentorship Podcast. And he brings on mentors that teach people how to make money. And he brought on, like, earlier on in the stage where he had a guy talk about he developed a whole entire system for outsourcing work for digital assistance and this way that and he it's all based on the philippines and he's got a good he's got the same guy has been with him for the last like 17 18 years and helped him grow this business over the last 20 years and this it's a great opportunity because this way they do everything over the over the uh, over the computer and he says it's like you, you can build this to a great relationship and on top of the two it's like it's cheaper to pay him because there, it's like you pay thousand bucks here, we won't get you very far. But thousand bucks there in Philippines, it's a whole game changer for them out there. Huh? Yeah. So it's it's quite the interesting aspect of it all. So it's like it's I've been that's been one of my goals to to manage all of my social media because it's like it's it's a lot it's a lot of work to to balance everything out and also prune up these episodes and then make sure they're all presentable and such and put in advertising and whatnot. It is. It's it's tough keeping up with all of that, keeping up with all of the orders. Two kids, a wife, mm-hmm. and a forty-plus-hour-a-week job building combat ships with with for the navy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see the crow's feet on you, man. You're only in your twenties. Oh man, I'm busier than a two-headed hen turkey in a fresh planted cornfield. <laughs> Is that the truth? Well, all right, Zach. Thank you for coming on the podcast. We greatly appreciate it. We finally got this in the book after so many years. But uh, this is a good way to, to introduce everybody to you and your product and Bucks of America even further. So, thank you. I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely, Jeff. Have a good one, buddy.